0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to HeadWise, the videocast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel. I'm the founder of Migraine Nation, and I have a history of chronic and daily migraine that began at the age of four. Today is our monthly headache news episode with Dr. Tim Smith. Hello, Dr. Smith. How are you today?
1: Doing well. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. So Absolutely. most people know that Dr. Smith is a regular on our show because of his experience with migraine clinical tri- trials, excuse me, as the CEO of Study Metrics Research. He is also a board member of the National Headache Foundation. Uh, we dedicate one episode each month to the latest headache and migraine, scientific and medical publications, news, FDA approvals, etc. cetera. We have some exciting information for you today, and I can't wait to hear what Dr. Smith has to say about it. So we are gonna start today with a study that was just published looking at whether galconazumab or omgality was effective for women who had menstrually related migraine, which many of us are aware can be particularly difficult to treat. Once it shows up, it sometimes doesn't go away even with our best acute medications. So Dr. Smith, what did they find with this study?
1: So yes, yeah, so this was uh, this study. Just um, to put a little detail on it, this was a what we call a post hoc analysis of all pooled data from their pivotal studies, and so they were able to go through and when they did the initial data capture, they had the participants, the female participants, document uh, when their menstrual cycle began. And so they could go back and look and look to see what the perimenstrual period, uh, you know, looked like as it pertains to response uh, to uh, the preventive effects. And uh, basically what the study showed is that it, uh, the, there is a preventive response to galcanezumab for uh, those uh, headache attacks during the perimenstrual um, uh, part of the month. And mm-hmm. um, this is—it's uh, sort of interesting. We've done uh, studies for interventions just around those sort of mini prophylaxis with with uh, medicines usually used as as uh, acute therapies uh, taken daily for uh, that uh, perimenstrual uh, portion of the month. Um, and this was basically a drug that's already in the patient's system for month to month, so they take a shot once to, once a month anyway. And this uh, shows that their menstrual-related uh, menstrually related migraines did respond and were prevented by the therapy.
0: Okay, that is great news um, because I think so many of us know that once it's there, if it's a migraine uh, around the window of your period, it can be harder to get rid of than other migraines. And just really quick, can you define for us... Um, The uh, perimenstrual migraines, menstrually related migraines, is that within the five-day window around your period? Is that what that is?
1: It's, uh, yes, it's uh, a lot of people would quibble with us over that definition, but it is what we use for research purposes. Basically, it's the first day of menses, minus two days and plus two days. So it's that five-day window uh, and it's, it's designed to sort of capture uh, those uh, female patients who will have uh, a migraine in the run-up to the start of their cycle, and then others who begin actually after their cycle—you know, their uh, begins after the menstrual period begins. Okay. So um, that that's why it's that way. It, it's not a perfect definition, but that's the one we use in research, and that's what they used for this project.
0: Okay. Thank you. So our next study we're going to discuss that was reported uh, within the last month, it was in the Lancet, and it looked at whether taking Eubrogepant or Eubrelvy in the prodrome, meaning at the time of our earliest migraine symptom in this case. Our, um, so in other words, not necessarily onset of migraine, but in the case of this study, they had people pick Um, the earliest thing that lets them know there are migraines coming on. um, They were looking at whether Ubrelvi was effective in the acute treatment of their migraine attacks. If these people uh, could guess that the migraine was coming based on these prodrome symptoms, which is so interesting. Uh, The reason this study is interesting is uh, we would all like to nip migraine in the bud before it shows up, right? And so this is what they were trying to do. So please talk to us about this study, Dr. Smith.
1: Sure, this is a, this is a great study because it does answer that important question that you just mm-hmm. outlined. And um, we've had trouble coming up with good study design to uh, put some good science uh, and statistics behind that notion. We as clinicians all have patients in our practices that can look us in the eye and and tell us, you know, I know when my migraine is going to come on, you know, and I, I don't have any pain yet, but I know it's going to be a migraine. And if I treat early, if I treat before the migraine even begins, I can nip it in the bud, or I can, you know, prevent it completely. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that's a notion that we're all familiar with. People have seen it and heard about it and lived it, uh, but we don't have any very much good science about it. And so this study was designed to look at that more carefully. And what what they did was. They found patients that uh, felt as though they had predictive symptoms of migraine, non-pain symptoms. So maybe a change in mood, maybe um, you know a, a change in energy level, uh, maybe a feeling of stiffness of muscles, maybe you know queasy feelings or a change in your digestive tract, and and the the list goes on. There's several uh, that it could be, but if it was if it was one of those things, and and the patient felt they could highly predict. Uh, that this was going to herald the onset of a migraine attack, then we screened those patients for the study. And then what we did is we put them through a uh, a sort of a proof period, a a screening period, and they did uh, prospective diaries, electronic diaries, where when they felt the symptom that they felt was most consistent with their prodrome, they would document that and then we would see whether they went on to develop and indeed develop a migraine and they were allowed to treat with whatever they usually treat with. Um, And then the patients who could accurately um, predict that they were going to have a migraine based on occurrence of symptoms uh, at least 75% of the time, so three out of four migraine attacks, uh, those people could go on into the treatment portion of the study. And okay. The so I'm
0: going to pause there to make sure everyone perfect. understood that because that's an important part of this. So they only enrolled people who, after following them, they knew could predict yeah. migraine coming 75% of the time based on prodrome yeah. symptoms. Yeah. So
1: yeah that, they, okay. didn't just, they, they didn't just get people off the sidewalk and say, hey, yeah. can you can predict your migraines. We'll here, try this. Perfect. They had, yeah. they had they to had actually to prove it. Yeah. I had to get have proof that this was a, this was actually a, a phenomenon that uh, was fairly reliable, and right. then so in the in the treatment at, at the intervention part of the study, patients were given uh, a, a dose of ubrogepant, uh, 100, 100 milligrams of mm-hmm. uh or placebo, and then they crossed over and 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 treated an, another migraine with the opposite treatment. So every patient was exposed, if they treated both migraine, uh, uh, both prodrome attacks uh, in anticipation of a migraine, uh, they received placebo for one of the attacks and active ubrogepant for the other one. Mm -hmm. They just didn't know which in which sequence it was randomly assigned, Mm -hmm. investigators didn't know, and then the patients completed their diaries prospectively. And they basically showed that if they did the study correctly uh, they prevented migraine forty six percent of the time with Ubrochipant and twenty nine percent of the time with uh, with placebo, and this was statistically significant. Uh, we have not had studies that uh, had good design that could reliably show that that kind of separation. So okay. it sort of uh, you know um, validates. Something that we have always kind of known and and presumed and wanted to, wanted to be able to you know affirm our our patients uh, approaches and this sort of helps us uh, especially with this drug it may be true of other drugs but we we've we've never seen those data on this is the only one that has successfully done it this well
0: right right so that um, is as I said earlier that the nip it in the bud hypothesis we always say treat early but we didn't have a lot of data to prove that that worked. And, and, and that study uh, did show it. So that was that was good data. Um, so we're gonna move on to a study uh, related to the Narivio device, uh, which we've spoke about before on Headwise. Um, this study was carried out in adolescents. And the interesting thing about this study, we wanna make sure we get across is um, it is another one of those things that in in the migraine and head pain community, we always have wanted to believe that by treating um, our, our migraine acutely and decreasing the frequency, we are decreasing our future migraine attacks. It's something we've always wanted to believe, but we've never necessarily shown it. And that's sort of what was going on in this study. So talk to us about this work that was just published related to Nerivio and adolescents.
1: So a few things uh, is we've said before, we're always excited to report out on anything for, you know, uh, adolescent. Uh, yes. Uh, migraine uh, patients. And so uh, this is yet another one. Uh, the the folks at Narivio at, uh, that make Narivio Theranica have done a, an excellent job of trying to champion this population of patients, and we mm-hmm. appreciate that very much. Um, the second thing is is that the this is uh, uh, um, some real world data that is aggregated by the folks at Theranica, and basically by virtue of patients using the device, they are in a good position to be able to capture, pro, you know, contemporaneous data. Um, about the migraine attacks and the response rates, so that's given them a, a very robust way of reporting these large studies. You know where we we can see uh, get some insights as to response rates and 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 uh, populations of patients.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then the, thirdly, uh, you you alluded to the fact that there we have this um, observation and belief that if a patient has really really good um, acute therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that decreases the opportunity for them to develop what we call central sensitization and amplification of their migraine. So, better abortive therapy or acute therapy to turn migraine off in the first place decreases the need for preventive therapy. Okay, so um, and what they showed in this study was uh, these uh, adolescent uh, kids who started on treatment at uh, at baseline they the first they had uh, on average had 12.6 migraine days per month mm-hmm. and that is a lot you know uh, especially for an adolescent uh, yeah like anybody, anyone but uh, you know your adolescent uh, kids out there with that many headache days that's it's it's, uh, it's horrible to think about you know almost mm-hmm. half of their month being um, predominated by these migraine days but in the second month they were of uh, just routine uh, acute use you know using it to abort headaches not preemptively or preventively Mm -hmm. Uh, after using it for a month their their monthly migraine days were down to nine and then Mm -hmm. in the third month they were down to 7.4 so you know we've it's uh you know five more than five migraine days taken off uh of these patients per month on average and that rivals what we see in preventive studies uh or for some preventive studies it's better you know so Mm -hmm. So we appreciate their efforts for trying to track these outcomes and, and report them to us. Um, it's observational data. So we, we understand where it comes from uh, but I think it's very useful and um, you know, we're uh, glad they're doing these kinds of studies and and putting these results out for us to see.
0: Right. And I think, again, I think that it's, it's just, it's a hopeful It makes me feel hopeful when you see something that you're using to decrease your pain now is decreasing your future pain, if that makes any sense. Uh, I like the idea of that. So our next study, I love genetic studies, being someone who comes from a family where uh, we are. Three generations now where we all had daily migraine before the age of 10. Uh, so, genetics are, I, I love to hear every time we, we learn more about migraine and genetics. So, we have a new study out of Iceland um, and it had some interesting results um, looking at different genes, both in migraine with aura and without aura. Um, and they they found some interesting things. So, can we summarize what they found?
1: So, these researchers took uh, data from uh, what they call genome-wide associations, and um, there have been these studies that are going on in many countries. And they pool data from six European countries. And what they do is they uh, just provide the the genetic the the code of uh, do a a genomic analysis for the entire genome for, for these patients. And they take uh, extensive histories. And so they can know who has migraine with aura, who has migraine without aura, any other Mm -hmm. diagnoses. And uh, if there's an association with the presence of a, of a a mutation or, or a gene sequence that tends to track with that, with that uh, disorder, then we see that, that, uh, that association exists and, and, it could be that it's involved with the development of it, and it's particularly interesting if there's a really, really strong predictive uh, signal uh, from mm-hmm. those things. So, so this, uh, you know, we're 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 going to see more and more of these analyses going forward. Um, the problem with migraine is we know that it runs in families, but uh, before we could do before the human genome was mapped and before we could do these uh, genome-wide association studies, we couldn't really. Start to zero in on which genetic defects or genetic variants—I guess we should call them. It's you don't want to call it a defect if it's just part of a normal. Are you saying variant. I'm
0: defective? <laughs> just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you are, I am. So, um, so, <laughs> so uh, but anyway, it's uh, it, it's it's these kinds of uh, studies I think can be very instructive. Um, mm-hmm. This one in particular um, showed that. They identified uh, four new newly identified variants that were associated with migraine with aura, but not migraine without aura. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, identified 13 other uh, variants that were associated with migraine without aura. I think mm-hmm. it's very interesting that the, the these uh, variants are lining up according to migraine subtype. And mm-hmm. and the more we know about these, uh, you you know you get into that branching logic, and you you start to see. Uh, other, you know, subtypes coming forward, we hope um, as, as we learn more and more about these. Um, and I think the other, just to put a quick uh, fine point on this is there there were three of the variants that were there were that were rare, but they had very large effect.
0: They were mm. highly
1: associated with with the particular outcome. Uh, and it's uh, one of one of the variants um, for uh, PRRT2, Uh, was associated, highly associated with increased risk of uh, migraine with aura and with epilepsy. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we know that some of these uh, sensitive uh, central nervous system uh, disorders can be associated. And and this is pointing to a a gene defect that is associated with both of them. There Mm -hmm. could be a partial explanation in that for us. And then there were two others that I thought was very fascinating that uh, the SCN11A, was associated with a decreased risk of migraine. Mm-hmm. And uh we don't typically think about looking for some a good outcome, but that that's uh maybe we should, you know. Uh, right. And then and then another one, uh, KCNK five that was associated with uh, decreased migraine and uh also decreased incidence of brain aneurysm. Mm-hmm. So that that was kind of an interesting thing. Is there some kind of causative thing that could be linking some brain aneurysms to uh, some types of migraine? Uh, it's kind of a scary thought, but um, it, it, it doesn't prove a cause and effect, but it, it's certainly the association is there. And we find that very interesting. But I, I thought that uh, these uh, these last two that were that were rare, but really had a, a powerful association were actually uh, linked to decreases in migraine. And, right. um, you know, that may explain these people you see in your everyday lives that say they've never had a significant headache, you know, and right. I'm like, you know, what's wrong with you? I, everybody I know has a significant headache every now and then, but there are people who can look in the eye and honestly say, I've never had a migraine, never had a significant headache. Perhaps they're protected by one of these variants. Who knows? It's uh, But it's it's food for thought.
0: I know. I find that so interesting, and I'm glad to know now that next time I meet one of those people, not only do I have nothing in common with them, they very likely have a a gene that has clearly never been anywhere near anyone in my family. So uh, <laughs>
1: we call them a mutant.
0: Yes. Yes. Well. <laughs> we will call them a mutant yes uh, we're we're the normal ones uh, right. so anyways well thank you so much that was a very informative interesting and even somewhat fun news episode so thank you as always for being here with us dr smith and thank everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of headwise and this month's news episode please join us again next week for the uh, video cast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. Goodbye, everyone.